This is Curious Minnesota, a Star Tribune project that sends staff from the state's largest newsroom hunting for the answers to great questions we receive from you, our readers. We're here to answer everything you want to know about the state's people, places, and culture. Welcome to Curious Minnesota. I'm your host, Ash Miller. Today, we're going back in time. We're visiting the era of bootleggers, of hush money, of kidnappings and shakedowns and Elliot Ness. An anonymous reader wrote into Curious Minnesota to ask about St. Paul's illustrious past when it comes to organized crime during Prohibition. Specifically, they wanted to know if it was true that St. Paul allowed gangsters to operate within the city as long as they committed their crimes somewhere else. I'm joined by the Star Tribune's James Walsh, our in-house expert when it comes to all things St. Paul. All right, Jim. Well, thanks for joining us today. Like I said, we're going to be talking about gangsters and St. Paul's history with them. So St. Paul's infamous history infamous with gangsters. History, yes. Yeah. Which I did not know about. As I mentioned on the podcast before, I am not from here. So I am still learning everything I need to know about St. Paul and about Minneapolis and about Minnesota in general. So every day I learn something new. And this was definitely a new one. This is a lot of fun, actually. And you know, a lot of the places where the gangsters were hanging out in St. Paul are still there. And the people make like money doing gangster tours of St. Paul. Wow. And so, yeah. So the reader wrote in and asked if it was true that the city actually provided a safe haven for gangsters. They did indeed. And okay. it began with the uh, the police chief was O'Connor. And it was called the O'Connor Layover Agreement. Mm-hmm. And it was it really started in the early 1900s. And it, the idea that was that the criminals who were wanted elsewhere, as long as they didn't get in trouble in St. Paul, if they didn't commit crimes in St. Paul, the cops would not not bug them or arrest them or work with the feds to bring them in. And that started around the early 1900s under Chief Mm O'Connor, but it really became notorious in the 20s and 30s with the advent of prohibition and the gangsters that made their money either through bank robbery or through the sale of illegal liquor. Mm -hmm. They would come to St. Paul. They'd rob a bank somewhere. They'd they'd get in trouble someplace and they'd hide out in St. Paul. And Mm -hmm. And the cops at that time, O'Connor Connor had been retired, but they mm-hmm. continued this tradition of leaving the gangsters alone. How do you propose that, do you think, and get away with it? <laughs> well, Paul Maccabee, who wrote the book John Dillinger Slept Here, was a good source for mm-hmm. the story. And Paul did tons of research. And what he says what happened was that the gangsters or the bad guys would come in at the train station at the Union Depot. And then uh, there'd be a cop there. And he, they'd, they'd know who these guys were. And they'd say, as long as a palm got greased or something... Mm-hmm. Uh, you ch- kind of checked in. Later where the check-in took place was there was a guy that was kind of a fixer in St. Paul and the organized crime types would check in with him either at a saloon that he ran or at his suite at the St. Paul Hotel. Mm-hmm. So there was money that changed hands to make sure that the cops would look the other way. The, and it wasn't all of the police, right? But it was some of the really key kind of higher-ups that made sure that if you're in town, just don't do bad stuff here. It got to the point, though, that they would do bad stuff in Minneapolis and drive across the Lake Street Bridge, and then they'd be safe. Mm, really? I, it was that like that clear of jurisdiction? <laughs> yeah, they'd, 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 they'd rob a bank in Minneapolis, or they'd rob a bank in Denver, or they'd do something bad in Kansas City, and then they'd come up to St. Paul, and they could sit here and, and be safe for two, three, four months, and then until they did uh, a crime somewhere else, or they ran out of money. 
John Dillinger was staying in an apartment building on Lexington Parkway in St. Mm-hmm. Paul that was one block south of Grand Avenue and got tipped off that the cops were coming, that the feds were coming and shot his way out. So, I mean, not every cop knew, right? So a lot right. of uniformed cops were like, they were just told that he was there and he shot his way out and he made his way out. I think he went to a doctor in Minneapolis that like took care of him and and, wow. and, and addressed his wounds and stuff. But, you know, it, it, this thing was going on for a long time and it didn't really stop. It didn't start to stop until I think it, the editor of the St. Paul Daily News uh, really started calling uh, city officials to task for doing this. He ended up putting, I think, recording equipment into St. Paul Police Headquarters. They got all this stuff on tape. And so by the early to mid-1930s, it became apparent that the police were on the take for this. And it was a huge scandal. And finally, the O'Connor rules uh, went away. The current police chief of St. Paul told me when we talked a little bit about it, we don't do that anymore, obviously. But, mm-hmm. you know, the problem was when you lay down with dogs, you get fleas. So basically it was like the worst kept secret. It was the worst kept. In fact, I think um, in in one thing that Maccabee showed me in the early 1900s, again, before the Dillinger stuff, I think they even alluded to the, the, the rules and that that made St. Paul safer by okay. requiring the bad guys to behave while they were here, that it actually lowered crime in St. Paul, which then they kind of publicized it. They kind of right. said that St. Paul is a safer city because of this. So we like, you know, and this one, when O'Connor was still chief, if someone was caught committing a crime in St. Paul, sometimes they'd be taken right to the chief's office and then they get sent out of town. So, I mean, for a while, it seemed to have a positive effect on crime in St. Paul. That kind of went away, though. And one of the things that put a lot of pressure on the gangsters was they broke the rule. Mm. Um, so these gangsters were that Barker Carpus gang was involved in kidnappings of Edward Bremer and it was William Ham and Ham mm-hmm. was uh, of obviously the, of the brewery family Hams mm-hmm. and Bremer was of the bank family and that brought a lot of heat on them because they broke the O'Connor rules. And then, then, well, now you're committing big crimes here to get big paydays. Then that also shone a light on what the police were doing. And then public pressure started to build. So is this this stuff that the city still likes to talk about? Like, is is it a controversial subject? It is. It's kind of funny. You know, Maccabee was talking about that a little bit. They're not, it's like they're, they're not unwilling to talk about it, but they don't really want to bring it up. And yet, like I interviewed uh, the, the guys who run the St. Paul Police Historical Society, and they have items on display, like Homer Van Meter was shot down by cops, and he was, he was one of Dillinger's gang, and he was shot down by cops. And he was shot down by cops, I think, and his money was taken by the cops. Uh, he had a bunch of money that he wanted to launder in St. Paul and they cornered him in an alley and they shot him and they killed him. They have his hat with bullet holes in it in the okay. ca- in a case. They have like Tommy guns and things like that. So they'll talk about it, but they're not proud of it. So right. they don't like to publicize it too much. Enough so that they still have walking tours. I mean the city, they're not city run walking tours. Right. They're not city run walking tours, but you can you can still get like a, a walking tour of St. Paul or uh, of downtown St. Paul where gangsters used to hang out, where the bars used to be, things like that. But all throughout St. Paul there are apartment buildings, there are old places that used to be uh, saloons and stuff where they hung out or where they did their planning or where they or where they lived for a few months here and there. 
Wow, okay. I would recommend getting the book. It's a fascinating book, and it has the addresses and, and things that are still there and where mm-hmm. they were, you know, where they planned the kidnappings and stuff and where they, you know, where, where they shot their way out of. Dillinger and his gang shot their way out of a resort in Wisconsin, and then they came to St. Paul. Mm, okay. You know, uh, again, they would they would do these awful crimes and, and rob banks or get kinds of money. And then they come here and they lay low for three or four months, heal up if they were shot or wounded during mm-hmm. the robbery. And then they'd go back out and commit more crimes and come back to St. Paul again. Well, OK, well, we all learned a little something about St. Paul. <laughs> it was it was a poorly kept secret. And okay. in fact, a lot of people were talking about um, the FBI talked about St. Paul being one of the dirtiest cities in the country at that time. It was well known that the police department and public officials were more than willing in in exchange for a little cash to look the other way. Wow. Okay. Well, thank you for stopping by. Um, You are our St. Paul expert. We call you Mr. St. Paul around the office. Um, Yeah. You know, that's what happens when you don't move away. Yeah. I will put a little plug in here for our newsletter that Jim and I do called Eye on St. Paul. So if you're a St. Paul resident and you want to stay up to date with everything going on in St. Paul, sign up today. All right. Well, again, thank you for stopping by and thank you for listening. Thanks, Ashley. Thanks for listening to Curious Minnesota. We want to hear from you. Ask questions and read more stories online at startribune.com backslash curious. Our show is recorded at the Star Tribune's headquarters in beautiful downtown Minneapolis. And our music is produced by Matt Gilmer. If you like the show, please rate us on iTunes or leave a review. And until next time, stay curious.